For Wednesday, May 16th, 2018, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. On this week's show, we explore messaging for Democrats with Navigator Research. Navigator is a newly launched D.C.-based organization that conducts polling and focus groups to help determine what resonates with voters. We are joined by Hub Project pollster Brian Bennett and former senior communications aide in the Obama White House, Andrea Peirce, to learn about how candidates, pundits, and yes, we activists can use this data to craft winning messages. I think it's learning how to impact that debate, not just online, not just in our campaigns, but all of them, and like really have a narrative that kind of underlies the whole idea that, hey, this government, Republican government and conservative government and government that is run by corporations isn't working for the American people. We have to make sure it does. That's all coming up. So stay with us. Crafting an effective political message that wins over voters has always been challenging. And for Democrats in 2018, it's maybe never been more important. So recently, a group of top pollsters and progressive thought leaders have come together to launch Navigator Research. Navigator conducts private polling and creates monthly reports detailing what matters most to voters and offers insight into how progressives can use this data to effectively win them over. Joining us to talk about all of this are Andrea Peirce and Brian Bennett. Andrea is an advisor to Navigator. She is formerly the director of broadcast media for the Obama White House, and she is currently the communications director for the Hub Project. Brian Bennett is the polling and analytics manager at the Hub Project. And we are very happy to have both of them on the show. Andrea Peirce and Brian Bennett, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having us. Absolutely. So, look, I want to get into what Navigator does specifically, but I think the best place to start is by unpacking the problem. Um, Andrea, why do you feel that Democrats struggle when it comes to articulating a consistent message that moves voters? Is it is it simply a data problem? Well, I think it goes beyond the data problem. And I think, you know, it's an important thing to talk about right now. It's an incredibly complex time where people are feeling a ton of news coming at them every day. True. We know there are a lot of things that seem... Uh, kind of at at risk. There's a lot that doesn't align with progressives' values that is happening kind of in the world today. So I think that that's a huge challenge and it's a new challenge. And, um, you know, conservatives have always had a very simple answer for, you know, their view of the economy and a little bit of the world about that is reflected in kind of trickle-down orthodoxy. Progressives believe things are a little more complex, and that might be true. Uh, conservatives have kind of taken the simple over the true in their messaging, which, you know, can be a big winner for them. But that has always been a challenge for progressives to really um, create an underlying narrative to all of the other things that we believe. So uh, instead of talking about the nine policy ideas, what is the real thing that underlies all that that is a statement of values about what we believe? So part of what we're hoping to do with this project is arrive at like the right way to talk about those things and also really dig in on what do voters care and not care about. Um, and so like we really like there are things that progressives think are are, are terribly wrong that are happening in this administration. Clearly. There are some that people aren't that concerned about. So frankly, we wanted to get a sense 
and a better pulse of what's happening with the American people. You know, it's interesting what you were saying about how conservatives are more given to black and white answers that easily translate into talking points, but that progressives tend to look at things with a bit more nuance. And and so I'm wondering about the specific challenge then when it comes to creating talking points for progressives. Are, are, are you working against what makes a progressive a progressive? It's a challenge that way, I would imagine. Uh, it, yeah, it's definitely certainly challenging. And I have never been of the belief that all of a sudden progressives are going to say all the same words and sing from the same songbook the way, you know, we used to see John Stewart do these raps on conservatives who would literally re- repeat the same words on cable show after cable show after cable show. Yeah, you especially saw that in the run up to the Iraq war that during the Bush administration, they were extremely disciplined and they would say the same talking points over and over and over again. But what I think what we can arrive at is something a little bit more about what kind of undergirds our belief system. And I think, you know, we've talked about this a lot about the right words to use when we're talking about it. But some of it is also really talking about um, how we believe the economy works and how we believe that it's workers and people that drive the economy and it doesn't come from the top down, it comes from the middle out. And how do we talk about literally every policy under the sun in a similar framework because our animating belief is this belief that people should be at the center of our economy and our families should be the ones who come first. So it's not necessarily must say X word over Y, although I think we'll think about some of that too, because there are certain things that turn people's, you know, turn people's heads and say, Oh yeah, I I get that. And I get the way you're talking about it, but it's also a little bit too about uh, what are the things that people all believe in their core and believe to be true. Well, you know, that kind of gets to how Navigator is working to address this problem. But I, I guess then that leads me to want to ask you, uh, Navigator's findings are meant to reach candidates and pundits, certainly, who are going to be the ones who are responsible for the messaging. But in order to sway who then ultimately, because progressives know where they stand and certainly Trump voters know where they stand. So is the data it intended ultimately as it filters through candidates and pundits, is it intended to reach independents, swing voters, moderates, people like that? Uh, I think like we want to ask questions of both. Because we also want to know where our base is and what keeps them engaged. Uh, I think we certainly aren't looking to find, uh, we're looking for ways to like bring people in. And I think that we want to be able to talk to Democrats who are running across the country. But I also think, you know, we want to know what keeps the core engaged and what keeps our voters interested. At the end of the day, uh, you know, there are, there's more than one way to lose an election and there's more than one way uh, to learn how to talk to people. And I think we've got it. We can't do one. We have to do both. Uh, awesome. I, I'm really of the belief that we've got to really engage both groups of people. Um, and you know what? There are some voters that we're going to lose along the way. And I think that we know uh, that America is more divided than ever. Uh, but there are still some people who are looking for candidates that are speaking to them and their values who haven't quite heard it yet. I would just add that, um, you know, I, the, one of the things that I think is the most exciting about the Navigator project is that uh, we have the opportunity to not only uh, be able to provide uh, messaging guidance to progressives, uh, you know, anyone from an activist um, to, you know, candidates running for uh, elected office uh, to folks on the Hill, 
uh, here in town in DC. Um, but we also have the opportunity to find um, ways that um, we can all talk to not just our base, but to um, independent and swing voters um, who may be um, on the fence. Um, we have a real opportunity to figure out what language works best with both audiences. Um, and I think that that's uh, one thing that will make this project really uh, important moving forward. Well, it's an extraordinarily tall order. And uh, from the data that I have looked at so far, it, it threads that needle in in a unique way. Uh, so, you know, I talked about this just a little bit in the intro, but Andrea, just tell us specifically what Navigator is and what it does. Sure. So I think in, in the past, we've used polling a lot to get at how people feel up or down on an issue. So do you like or not like the tax plan? Uh, how do you feel about a certain issue? Uh, and that tells us a certain amount of, about kind of where people are. But what we want to get at a little and a, use a little more stringency is to find out how do we talk about these things. So we know progressives care about uh let's say, the economy and about employment and things like that. Well, as people continue to feel a little bit better about employment, how do we talk about them about what's really concerning them? Do we really know what's concerning them? Because it isn't always just jobs, jobs, jobs. People are feeling deep anxiety about kind of other parts of their own economic well-being and about the economy overall. So like, how do we dig a little deeper into those numbers and know, hey, this is the best way to address voters when we're thinking about these issues. And so specifically the way that you kind of take that pulse is you conduct surveys, you convene focus groups, and then ultimately you guys put together a monthly report, right, that helps with this this precise kind of messaging that you're talking about. Yeah. And and the the report is meant to be usable. It's not meant to give you a lot of complicated facts about how uh, we arrived at it. It is to give you um, a, a nice look behind the numbers, but also here's what you can take away from that and what we what our learnings really are from this. So it's meant to be something you could put in your hands today and uh, tomorrow be able to use to talk about the issue in a more informed and a more in a way that really speaks to the American people, because that at the end of the day is what we're trying to do. And in fact, if you want to go to navigatorresearch.org, you can download a report right now and check it out. And I will just say, you're right. It's all very accessible information. Um, Brian, I want to bring you into how this was done. So um, this was Navigator's first report that just came out, um, and this is based on the polling and the focus groups. Talk about how the polling and the focus groups were conducted. How many people, when were they done? Sure. Um, so uh, for this first report, uh, we decided to do both a blend of uh, qualitative uh, research and uh, a quantitative survey. Um, the, the qualitative was an online discussion board of uh, 25 individuals uh, across the country uh, that were recruited uh, to talk about the issues that we address in this survey. Um, in terms of kind of who they are, uh, we were looking for uh, folks that were more uh, soft partisans. So we, we wanted to make sure that they were, um, you know, had like mixed voting history, mm. um, weren't um, extremely supportive of Donald Trump, but not even, also not extremely opposed to Donald Trump. We wanted to kind of get a nice mix of people who um, would be open to uh, discussing these kinds of uh, political issues um, in, a, in a discussion board. So moderates, uh, basically. Yeah, basically. Um, 
And then we followed that up with a, a national survey conducted online um, with 1,009 registered voters across the country um, and uh, kind of used some of the uh, initial findings from the, from the qualitative research that we did um, to kind of inform how we designed and asked some of the questions that we included in the survey. So one of the first things that you read in the report is about the economy. And this is a somewhat problematic topic for Democrats going into the November midterm uh, because growth has been steady and unemployment is down. So uh, based on your findings, what is the best way for uh, Democrats to talk about that in a way that reaches the voters they need to reach? Sure. So I think that there has been a challenge for years uh, about progressives and Democrats talking about the economy. I think that if you look at polling that's been done over several years, you'll find that, um, you know, when, when, when voters are asked uh, who's doing a better job on, on, or who would do a better job in terms of handling the economy, handling taxes, um, there has historically been a, a small to moderate edge in favor of Republicans. Um, Which is and, weird, and I have to just stop you there and point out the fact that, uh, generally speaking, economies have almost always done better under Democrats, right? Yeah, and I, I think that this kind of links back to a point that Andrea made earlier, which is that, um, in a lot of ways, conservatives have gone the route of uh, sacrificing the truth over um, the ease of message. Um, and so, you know, being able well, to... Well, how do you mean by that? So, by that I mean, for, for decades, uh, Republicans have focused on a, a simple narrative and explanation of how the economy works, which is trickle-down, tax cuts, right, right, the wealthy, right. um, deregulation. Um, and, you know, empirically, we know that those, uh, the, those policies have, have tended to not really have a particularly strong uh, beneficial impact on the macroeconomy as a whole. But people also respond well to when, when you hear the idea of uh, lower taxes. Um, and it's a message that they have, um, you know, pursued uh, aggressively and consistently, I think is the most important part, consistently um, over the last several decades. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of to loop back to where we are now, I think that what we have seen in um, polling lately is that that advantage on both the economy and taxes has actually begun to narrow a lot. Um, in this survey, we find uh, that they're pretty evenly matched um, in terms of uh, Democrats and Republicans uh, being viewed as handling the economy and taxes better. Um, and so I think that one thing that we found in this research that I think is incredibly important for progressives to emphasize when uh, they're talking about the economy is, um, you know, Republicans are obviously bragging about, you know, a growing economy, jobs, uh, the stock market. Um, one of the things that we found in this research is that um, voters are very much uh, inclined to believe that all of the economic benefit that is currently occurring um, in today's economy is going disproportionately to the wealthy and not to the middle class or working families. And by two to one margin, people believe that that's the case. And, this, and that is an effective counter to the uh, consistent conservative argument about you know the economy going well and the stock market hitting record highs. Um, so I think that that's a, an important thing for progressives to emphasize is that uh, level of inequality that is currently occurring in the in the economy. Right. So you want to remind voters that those at the top are the ones who are really getting the benefit and it's not uh, trickling down to you. Um, you also talk about putting an emphasis on uh, people worrying about their future. So even if people are 
say, you know, feeling okay about the economy today, you're saying that progressives should ultimately focus on the uncertainty of tomorrow based on your findings, right? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, one of the things that we found um, in this research is that people, you know, I think if you look at other polling, it might suggest that people are generally satisfied um, with the direction of the economy and the in their own personal finances. But we find that there is a lot of um, anxiety and worry about uh, where people are. One thing that uh, one respondent in the focus or the discussion board said was that they were just one ER trip away from being bankrupt. Yeah. And I think it's important for uh, progressives to be able to, um, you know, talk about people's anxieties. I mean, the, the, the two main things that really popped out in terms of what is driving that concern, one is healthcare, um, in terms of being able to afford uh, healthcare, and uh, the concern that, you know, something might come up that would give them economic anxiety. Um, and then the other part is just being able to keep up with, um, you know, cost of living, being able to have uh, a chance at upward mobility, um, being able to focus on retirement security. Um, and so these are uh, pivotal issues that progressives need to, need to be uh, talking about. And I think that it also is very explanatory as to why there's been such opposition uh, towards the Republican effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act mm-hmm. and been such opposition to the Republican tax law. Well, it's funny that you bring in the tax plan because I was going to ask about that next. Your findings show that 61 percent of independents believe that the GOP passed the tax plan to enrich the wealthy and their donors, which uh, certainly squares with the earlier data that we were talking about. And I have to ask, and Andrea, I'll just ask you this. Isn't that a message that Democrats should hammer home every day from now until November? I mean, Rick Saccone ran unsuccessfully on on the, uh, the tax plan in Pennsylvania, their signature piece of legislation, the, the, the GOP, uh, is turning out to be a real bust. Isn't this a real opening for Democrats? It is a huge opening for Democrats. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, listen, they spent $10 million in Pennsylvania alone in such a short period in a relatively eh, moderately sized media market wall-to-wall tax ads trying to sell the Republican plan and tell voters that it had helped them. The fact is, Americans don't believe it. They know what's in their paycheck. And they also have been hearing, and I think we're hearing a lot more of this now, that big corporations are getting humongous benefits from this tax bill. So Americans, you know, they they've been frustrating when you, you know, when we have the election of Donald Trump, but they are not stupid. They know that this plan was not for them. They know when they see the day after it passed that Paul Ryan's super PAC got five hundred thousand dollar, you know, a five hundred thousand dollar check from the Cokes. They know what happened here, and this was a tax bill that was never intended to help American families. And you can be sure when like the Koch brothers are the ones running the ads on the bill. You know, you don't have to, like, go too far to find out, like, who benefited from this bill. And it wasn't American workers. It's not American families. So I want to bring in uh, the issue of corruption because this is something else that you guys studied. Um, and in particular, uh, you know, I'd like to, to sort of bring Trump into this because I think there's a wariness among some Democrats about running, quote unquote, against 
Trump and indeed from the polling that I've seen anyway, the Russia scandal doesn't seem to really move the needle for voters, but corruption really does. And so one polling question shows that uh, the majority of voters that you surveyed and the majority of independents feel that Trump, quote, breaks the rules set up to prevent abuses of power by the president. So uh, how do progressives use that particular information in your mind? Yeah, I think that that's a really important finding that we found. Um, you know, voters tend to be um, more uh, concerned by Trump's behavior when it comes to things like abusing power and uh, and uh, like and uh, preventing corruption and or ignoring standards that prevent corruption and conflicts of interest, um, rather than behaviors that are more about you know, uh, rules being set up to preserve the honor and dignity of the presidency. And, you know, I think that's a really important thing to emphasize. We also found that, um, you know, we just kind of did a comparison of, you know, Republicans in Congress to Democrats in Congress in terms of um, which is more likely to use government to personally enrich themselves and did the same thing with Trump versus Democrats in Congress. And by double digit margins, voters believe that Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump are more likely to personally enrich themselves and personally enrich their their uh, own campaign donors um, more than more than Democrats in Congress. Okay, so then what is the specific messaging that you would recommend around that? Yeah, I think it's to talk about the motivations behind the policy that we got. Right, so it was a straight line from there was more uh, people lobbying on the tax bill than has lobbied on any bill in the history of this Congress, 7,000 lobbyists who worked on this bill, millions of dollars put in the campaign coffers of Republicans, and now you have a tax bill that benefits those very corporations that paid them money. So it is like, it's a straight line from A to B. You got a policy that benefits big corporations paid for by big corporations with candidates who were funded by big corporations. So, you know, there's, it's just a direct line for uh, progressives to talk about this issue because, you know, it's no wonder we don't have policies that stand up for the American people. These policies were meant to put, unfortunately, meant to put corporations first, not American families. Kind of staying on the Trump question for just a moment, you also did, you asked a series of questions uh, about Trump's many, many scandals uh, and his uh, outrageous behaviors. And the two things that concerned voters uh, about Trump were his comments about, quote, shithole countries and his response to Charlottesville. This was more than his firing James Comey. This was more than his uh, being critical of the intelligence community. This was more than calling journalists, quote, enemies of the people. Um, it's it, it's intriguing to me because I think progressives tend to get a little more worked up, and I think understandably so, about the things that come further down the line. But the things that really move voters are the top two things that I talked about, the whole country comments and Trump's Charlottesville response. So what should the messaging be around that? Well, in my opinion, the, the, the things that we could tell about that, and I, I'm not saying that any of these things, obviously, they you know, if you looked at my Twitter feed, they make me angry on a daily basis. And I've probably like lost my mind over every single one of them. Your Twitter so feed I, is great, by the way. I can I can highly recommend it. What's your uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Gray Hurst. But my you know, my whole family is a little mortified at my constant use of cuss words as of this point, because I've just lost like all sense of decency in this administration. Um, but that said, I mean, we looked at these numbers. And I think like, the the 
Paul's comment, the white supremacist comment, these things are so out of line with American values. I mean, they're an affront to what we believe. And I think that to me, like, honestly, these findings made me feel a little bit better <laughs> about mm. where we stand right now, that these things are so out of line. The other one thing I just point out, though, looking at these findings also made me feel better about one other thing. That when people say, oh, the comments he made in Charlottesville made, you know, those don't make his base very angry. Well, if you look at the numbers, the Charlottesville comments only held 5% of his base. So his, like, when people talk about his base, it's not half of America. That's extraordinary. Can you repeat that number? Because that's the first time I've heard that. 5% of America said that this made them like him more. The other, like, there's no, there's nowhere else to go from that. I mean, like, 5%. So, yeah, I guess he's holding some people. That 5% of America is a really small slice. So, you know, I think the overwhelming majority of Americans thought that that was just a totally unacceptable way for a president to talk about an issue. You know, like, the, the line on this is not, like, up or down, okay, not okay. These were 61% said completely unacceptable. To me, that's like a great, it's a great indicator that we're on the right side of with the American people on this. Um, and I think that, you know, frankly, we should we should feel pretty good about that. And that the shrinking number of people who say, oh, these things make me like him more. Uh, those things are disturbing and should be disturbing to all Americans, honestly. There's a there, there's also a couple other points that I would I would add, add on to that, too. Um, one question that we asked in the survey um, is. Uh, which words and phrases describe your biggest concerns about Donald Trump? The words that really came up uh, that kind of popped the top were things like reckless, childish, offensive, embarrassing. And then you then look at this list of behaviors and the ones that kind of pop up are all about the things that he says. Um, it's referring to countries in the Caribbean as shitholes or in Africa in the Caribbean shitholes. It's excusing the behavior of white supremacists and it's using Twitter. All of those 60% ish of, of, of Americans find that behavior completely unacceptable. Um, so I think that focusing on, um, just in terms of, of, a, of a messaging explanation, yeah. focusing on uh, how reckless and offensive and childish he is can be um, very persuasive to many people. And also, I would note that some of these examples are pretty old. Um, you know, the, the, the Charlotte's, Charlottesville was last August and people still remember it and still find it completely unacceptable. So I think we can, we can, uh, be able to use these kinds of examples that people will, that will jog people's memories, um, to emphasize the point of how reckless and, um, ignorant some of his, his language is. You know, something else that is very encouraging that I read in your research is that the NRA is now officially underwater with voters. Fifty-two uh, percent uh, have an unfavorable view. Um, how do Democratic candidates work with that? Well, I think that this is actually one of the uh, one of the one of the great findings in this research. Is you know, you're right. We we found that it is underwater. Um, it has a uh, 39% uh, favorability rating compared to 52% unfavorability rating. And um, that number, they're also underwater among independents. I think another interesting finding, the only other place in the survey where we asked about the NRA, is we asked a question about who um, the Republican Party is beholden to effectively. Um, and outside of wealthy campaign donors, which is number one, um, very closely behind is the NRA. Um, there is a perception that they are 
uh, very tied, uh, they're inextricably linked. Um, and so I think that in this current environment, it's a, um, it's definitely a, a plus for progressives to be um, talking about the NRA, um, talking about um, uh, gun, stricter gun control, um, and stricter regulations on, on gun policy. You know, and we're also seeing it in other in national polling that's reflecting that, you know, there is strong support, obviously, for things like background checks, for um, banning assault weapons, um, and having stricter, uh, stricter gun laws. And so I think that it's a, overall um, a net positive for progressives who want to um, embrace and talk about the issue. So I know that your data is intended for uh, at least nominally politicians and pundits, but you know, so much of the political discussion today happens on social media, uh, and I know that there's a lot of activism that happens on social media. Certainly, the indivisible movement is—I'm not entirely sure it would exist if it weren't for Facebook. How do you view your data impacting this discussion, Andrea? Do you hope Navigator is going to have an influence here? I mean, listen, I think both as a— like how we understand what people are feeling because sometimes I, I, I think so in some ways it's, it's a good way for us to understand what the public conversation is and what people's conversation is in their homes. I think inside DC, there's one conversation that happens on the issues and uh, things that we're very angry about. And then sometimes we hear that something in, in, you know, talking to focus groups is a great way to find out uh, what has broken through and what hasn't. We're in such a loud environment right now. I think so many of us who work on, in progressive politics spend the hours between like, you know, nine and seven working on them at work and then between seven and 10, like freaking out on the internet again. And I think it's, it's exhausting. So yeah. it's really, it is really hard right now to get a sense of what is breaking through and what people are hearing because there's not a 24 hour news cycle. There's a two hour news cycle. If that, yeah. So, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily trying to change the conversation on Twitter, but it's trying to understand what the real conversation is at home. And I think, you know, Twitter's a part of that, but part of what we've really got to understand is where American families are, where American, like, you know, where people are and what, um, what they're thinking as they're going, you know, kind of navigating this really stressful era. Well, the reason why I ask that is because I know that uh, candidates and certainly, um, you know, office holders, uh, members of Congress, they monitor their social media feeds and they, you know, they have staff who do that and they kind of take the temperature of what's happening around there. And so I guess I'm I'm wondering that even though Navigator isn't necessarily directed at the social media user, it could potentially, this data, if used by social media uh, users, could impact arguments online and even potentially policy, right? In a much broader sense, I do think that we hope we can find out enough to really impact the way we're having these discussions. I mean, that doesn't mean let's not talk about the, the president golfing online anymore. Like, certainly that's still going to happen. <laughs> but I think, you know, it's it's finding out, hey, it's not enough to talk about lobbyists and corruption. We have to talk about what does that really mean for families for it to make sense to anybody? It's asking those kinds of questions, like not just does it make you mad that um, you know, Paul Ryan got a $400,000 check the day after the tax bill passed. But what does that mean for your family? What does that, you know, what does that level of corruption mean 
when a tax bill impacts you. And so I think it's learning how to impact that debate, not just, you know, not just online, not just in email, not just in our campaigns, but all of them. And like really have a narrative that kind of underlies the whole idea that, hey, this government, Republican government and conservative government and government that is run by corporations isn't working for the American people. We have to make sure it does. Well, the message that you are putting across is extraordinarily focused, and uh, I think it's going to be useful to a lot of people, and I'm very excited about the work that you're doing. Um, Before we go, Andrea, I honestly can't let you go without asking for just at least one war story from working in the uh, Obama White House. You were a senior communications aide there. Uh, What was it like to create messaging at that level? Uh, So the White House, I mean— I thought I was drinking from the host, but the staff now have a different level of drinking from the host. I mean, frankly, like one of the one of the great things about the White House, it's not that we we never disagreed, but we were all on the same team, which seems very different from today's White House. So um, I'm afraid my war stories might pale in comparison. Um, it was generally <laughs> about you know what are the right ways to. Um, to all come together and make sure the whole federal government was on the same page about how we um, we did the right thing. And I think, you know, we had a president who was really a, a, wanting to do the right thing in a big way. So, I mean, I was there for Ebola. Um, I was there for some other, you know, for Ferguson, for some other really big challenges that we had to navigate. And I think, you know, we uh, we would link arms pretty quickly and say, like, this is the right way forward. And, and we are all going to collectively just put our energy um, in all like use all the different levels of the federal government and the White House to do it. I think, you know, for progressives, there's there's no challenge like this administration in terms of having our backs against the wall. But we're really determined with this effort to learn how to face it head on and how to like win the the conversation. Um, and I think, you know, we've got to get it right, right? <laughs> Absolutely. No. And in fact, as I said in the intro, the stakes, I, I don't think have been higher in our lifetimes for this coming midterm election. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing. The site is navigatorresearch.org. Andrea Purse and Brian Bennett, thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. And that'll do it for this week's show. For more information on the show, head to indivisiblepodcast.org. As always, please keep the emails coming. I love them. Direct them to indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at IndivisiblePod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. My thanks again to Andrea Purse and Brian Bennett. Special thanks to Ryan Thomas. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye.